those stories, and I've uh, been a part of some of those, and it's it's a real joy. Uh, Japan, difficult, difficult field, but God is beginning to do a great work there. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, as we continue in our series called A Christmas Gift. And today I'm asking the question, naughty or nice? And I want to talk to you about how you can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. You know, when God sent Jesus at Christmas, he he sent him into a world that was broken by sin. And he gives us an opportunity to start all over again. He gives us the opportunity for a new start in life. Several years ago, (coughs) excuse me, Um, James Kennedy wrote a a fascinating book called What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? And he he looked at many things in society and civilization, and he documents how our world is different as a result of Jesus having come into the world and had an impact upon it. For example, he shows that historically, before Christianity, women were often treated as slaves. But Christianity elevated women, gave them a place of honor. Before Christianity, the killing of one's child was considered by some a a beautiful act. But Christianity uh, sanctified life. Dr. Kennedy goes on to show that Christianity uh, was instrumental in bringing about education, public schools, the first great universities of America uh, were started by uh, believers, by Christians. He shows that democratic government and the rule of law had their foundation, their basis in in Scripture. Uh, then he, he demonstrates that nearly all the founders of modern science were Christians, including men such as Kepler, Boyle, Pascal, uh, Pasteur, Newton, and numerous others. Uh, then he demonstrates that uh, that uh, the, the that Christians of faith in- influenced literature. Writers such as Dante, Chaucer, Shakespeare, Dickens, Milton, and others. He points out that there were musicians such as Handel and Pavalti and and Bach who were Christians who who worked to honor God with their work. In fact, Bach, uh, he signed all of his works, sola de gloria, solely for the glory of God. Now, throughout his book, Dr. Kendi's point is that the birth of Christ had an amazing impact upon the world, and it changed it to a place where many people uh, make it, find it much easier to live. Now listen, everything that Dr. Kennedy says in his book is true, and it's powerful, but it is critical to underscore the fact that Jesus did not come into the world primarily to make the world a better place. Jesus didn't come into the, to this earth in order to make life on earth better. Jesus came into this world to primarily to save us from our sin. 
That's what we need more than, than, than that. His, his, his goal was much bigger than making things better. Naughty or nice? You know, when we were kids, we would hear that song, Santa Claus is, is coming to town. And there was that line that says, you know, he's making a list and checking it twice. He's going to find out who's been naughty or nice. Now, that was an incredibly effective strategy that our parents used to keep us in line leading up to Christmas. Now, did you all ever have that happen? You know, they tell you, you know, you better watch out because somebody's watching you. And if you're not nice, then you're not going to get anything for Christmas, right? You, you all had that experience? I don't know if that works today, but when I was a kid, they used that and it, it worked pretty well uh, for us. I mean, I, as mischievous as I was, I actually found myself trying to curtail my mischievous at Christmas time. But the truth is that from God's perspective, we're all on the naughty list. From a biblical perspective, we're all born into sin. We remain in sin until we come to Christ as our Savior. And the, and the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Now, just think about that familiar verse. It says, all. That's everybody. That's every human in the world. That's you. That's me. That's the best person you know. All have what? Sinned. See, we're all in sin. Sin. There you go. <laughs> We're all in sin. And, and, and you think about it. We've all thought things. We've all said things. And we've all done things that we know go t- contrary to God's word, to God's nature, to God's law. We've all violated his law. And, and here is where it really gets down to the cases. Because, you see, most people understand that they have sinned. That they, you know, they would say, they would acknowledge, I'm not perfect. Yes, I have done things that I know I shouldn't, and I, or I've done things that I really wished I hadn't. But we also tend to think that, that our sin is not really that bad, especially when we look around at other people and see the things that they have done. You know, it was interesting because we were having a, a conversation several weeks ago when uh, our children were in, and and Karen was asking our oldest son, said, you know, you did some pretty uh, rotten things, some, <laughs> some uh, mischievous things when you were in school. How did you get away with that? You never seemed to really get in trouble for that. And he said, well... Think about who was, else was in my class. And he named off four or five other guys. And he says, compared to them, I look like an angel. And I think oftentimes we look at our sin like that too. We look around the world and we see the incredible evil that's going around. You know, we look pretty good compared to everybody else. The problem is, is that God doesn't compare us with other people. God compares us with his absolute perfection, with his holiness, 
with his righteousness, with his glory. He calls it glory, his perfection. And you see, and because of that, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Now think about that. We're separated from God because of our sin. And if we die in the guilt of our sin, then we will be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And that's why God sent his son. Not to make the world a better place, but to save us from our sin. And Romans 6.23 continues, the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> We've all been naughty, but when we turn to Christ in faith... He gives us eternal life. You see, that is the gift of Christmas. God gives sinners like you and me the opportunity to receive eternal life. The gift is life. Think about that. Life. Life. Eternal life. We, We say that word so easily. But friends, it is such an incredible gift that God gives to us. And you know, we want to read about this gift that God gives to us, this gift of life. And so uh, I encourage you to look with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning verse with verse 9. And here it says, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the incredible story of Jesus. And today as we go through your word and, and think in greater depth about this wonderful story, we ask you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would direct our minds and our thinking so that we can receive and appreciate Uh, what you have done for us in your son. And Lord, I pray for those that are here today that have never received you as their Lord and Savior, that today that they would submit to you and be willing to do so and to have eternal life. And we ask it for your glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, John starts his story differently than any other Gospels. Uh, Matthew and, and, and Luke, they deal with, they deal with uh, the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. Mark begins with the earthly ministry of Jesus. But John goes back much further than 
than either of those. He goes, tells us verse 1 all the way back to the beginning. And verse 12 tells us that, that though we are sinners, if we believe in his name, Jesus gives us the, the right, the power, the authority, the ability to become children of God. And see, when you become a child of God, you are born again. You are born with the nature, the characteristics of God. You are, you become a child of God and, and you have a new future. And all that together, you see, is eternal life. So, so Christmas tells a story that can change your life forever. Christmas is the story of Jesus coming to give you the gift of eternal life. And John reveals four facets of Jesus' story. And first of all, he tells us that the story of Jesus is an eternal story. It's an eternal story. Now, every story, every good Jesus is an eternal story. And in a sense, it has no beginning because Jesus has no beginning. Now, when Jesus was born into Bethlehem, it was the beginning of his life here on earth. But you understand, that was not the beginning of Jesus because Jesus already existed much further back than that. He existed before he ever came to Bethlehem. That's what verses 1 and 2 tell us. Look at that in in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, a a literal translation of verse 1 would be in beginning. It's an arthritis. There's no article there. And that, that is significant because the Holy Spirit is telling us that further back than the human mind can conceive, way back in eternity past, long before anything else was, in the beginning, or in beginning, was the Word. And the Word was, in verse 1, that verb of being is an eternal kind of was. It's saying that Jesus existed, and he always has existed. He's eternal in his nature. Uh, Now consider the word word. It's the Greek word logos. We get our English word logic from it. it. It simply means knowledge or understanding or wisdom. You know, all the ologies of science come from that word logos. You know, biology is knowledge about life. Uh, zoology is, is knowledge about animals. Uh, ecology is knowledge about the earth. Theology is knowledge about God. It, it all, it's, it's knowledge, it's understanding, it's wisdom. And logos simply means knowledge. Later, in verse 14, John tells us that Jesus is the Word. He is the Logos. 
Now, you wonder, well, then why didn't John start with, why didn't he begin with saying that Jesus was, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God? Why didn't he say it that way? Well, all of that's true. I mean, Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus was with God, and Jesus is God. All that's true, but you see, Logos was an important concept that all of John's readers understood. In ancient Greek philosophy, uh, they understood uh, that, that the Logos was the uncreated, eternal, divine force that created and gave order to the whole universe. Now, they saw it as non-personal, but they recognized that philosophers understood that the laws of mathematics and, and reason and even morality all could be traced back to what they would call the ordering principle. Something had to, something had to bring order and consistency to the world. They called this the logos, the, the, the word, as we would translate it. And, and so John is saying the this eternal word, this eternal logos upon which everything else depends is the Son of God. And his is an eternal story. In verse 3, he says this, All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, when you add together the idea that Jesus is the eternal Logos, the eternal Son of God, and that he is the creator of everything that is, you, you, have, you have an unassailable assertion that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who made everything. Now, think about that. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who made everything that exists in the world. I mean, there's not an atom in the universe that Jesus didn't create. There's not a cell in your body that Jesus Christ did not, did not create. There's not a galaxy out there in outer space anywhere that God did not create. All things were created by him. He, he, his is an eternal story, and he existed before any of that stuff any of us ever came into being, he simply was. He is, and he will be. He's eternal. Verse 4 tells us that in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Friend, do you know where life comes from? Life comes from Jesus Christ. He's the giver of all life. And then you know what he tells us? He tells us that he gives us light to understand. And the light is how we understand life. The life was the light of men. The, our light, the fact that we live and we exist, that's the light for us to understand that he is the, the creator of it all. Verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, in this context, uh, a better translation would be overcome. In other words, the light is not greater, uh, the light is greater than the darkness. It will not be overcome by darkness. Now, wherever you go in the world, you know, light 
and dark are universal symbols that transcend time and culture and language. Universally, uh, they represent truth and life and goodness. And dark represents falsehood and death and evil. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, that's always the case. And the Bible says that, that Jesus is the eternal word that gives eternal life and he shines eternal light into that darkness and it can never be overcome. It's an eternal story. And friends, you and I, see, we need... We need the eternity of God in our lives. We need that life. We need that light. All of us need that. A couple of months before Christmas, the wife of a a mail carrier was killed in a car accident. And he was just overcome with grief. And he was trying to work through his sorrow. And he, he began to stay late at the post office and sort through the uh, mountain of mail that always comes through at that time. And as he was sorting through uh, the mail, he was, given an op- he was given the job of going through the lost mail and of deciding where each of this, this lost mail was to be uh, routed or rerouted. And as he was sorting through that mail... He came across a letter addressed to Santa Claus. There were many of those. But he came across one addressed to Santa Claus, and he was getting ready to toss it in the pile that all of them went into. And he noticed that the return address was his address. And he, and he, and he stood there for a moment, and he, he kind of recognized the writing, and he opens the letter. And he looks at the bottom of the page, and it's signed by his daughter. And here's what the letter said. Dear Santa, my mommy died two months ago. And since then, my daddy has been crying himself to sleep every night. He says only eternity will heal him. Will you please send a little bit of eternity to my daddy this Christmas? It was signed by his daughter's name. Jesus Christ stepped out of eternity and he came into this world and he brought with him light and life, life and light to be able to see that reality. In sending his son, Jesus didn't just send us a little bit of eternity, God sent us the very heart of heaven. See, he offers us eternal love that cannot be overcome by your sin. Eternal power that cannot be overcome by your greatest weakness. Eternal mercy that cannot be overcome by your your guilt and your shame. And eternal grace that cannot be overcome by your sin. He gave us something that no matter what we face in this dark world, that it cannot be overcome. He is greater. And whatever your need is, God can meet that need. But the biggest need, the greatest need that he gives us at Christmas is eternal life. What we really need is eternal life. It's an eternal story. But the story of Jesus is also a mysterious story. 
In verse 14, we have a, a clear statement of an absolute mystery. The statement is clear, but that about the, about the truth behind it is, is really, it's kind of a mystery, a great mystery. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, that statement, the word became flesh, is mysterious and amazing. We've already said something of the beauty and the, and the majesty of the, of the word. That's Jesus in his, in his eternal creative power. But look at this. He says, the, the, word, the word for flesh there, you see that word flesh? Where it says the word became flesh? It could not be more opposite in meaning of the word word. The word flesh in Greek is a word that's pronounced sarx. It's a kind of a harsh sounding word. We get our English word sarcasm or sarcastic from this word. It's a kind of a, it's a harsh, bitter, biting word. Sarx also speaks of weakness, of contamination, of decay. It's, it's that kind of a word. We get our word sarcophagus from this word, a tomb. And so the Bible says that, now think about it, Jesus became flesh. He left the golden throne room of heaven and he entered into this weak, bitter, decaying, dark world. The realm of human experience. That's, that's the world that we live in. A broken world, a world that's been affected by sin. He entered into this, this weak, dark, decaying world. It's an amazing thought. And he experienced all that we experience. Hunger and thirst and weakness and misunderstanding and pain and suffering and all the frailties of human life he experienced. And notice that that language in verse 14 again, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the, the, the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Let me tell you, the Bible says something much stronger than veiled in flesh. It tells us that the word, that is Jesus, became flesh. Get him, I became flesh. Think about that. Jesus, God, became flesh. Sometimes we think of, of the eternal Son of God as just kind of coming into the world and, and putting on flesh for a season. But listen, that's not what happened. Jesus didn't come into this world for 33 years on the earth and put on flesh. The eternal word is 100% God, yes, but he is also 100% man, human, flesh. The eternal word did not become flesh for a season temporarily. He became flesh 
He's not like some mighty king that would take off his robe, his royal robe, and put on the the clothes of a beggar for a few hours or a day, and then take off that beggar's clothes and put back on his royal robe and go back into the palace. No, Jesus came into the world and he took on flesh and it remains. He's eternally God. He is eternally flesh. This is an incredible thought. The eternal word became flesh. You know, there's, a, there's an annual event now called Live Below the Line. And it's uh, an event that challenges people to take five days and to, to feed themselves uh, on the level of extreme poverty. So for five days, you exist in, in extreme poverty. But you know what happens after five days? You go back living on the same level that you were before. That's not what God did. God became flesh. Now his flesh, he was virgin born. So he didn't have any sin. But he became flesh. Just like you and me. And so he knows all of what it means to be lit to live in the flesh. And Once and for all, the eternal Son of God entered into the human experience. And friends, he's our high priest. You know what that means? That means that he represents us before God. He represents us as a person, as a human being in flesh. He knows all the things that you and I experience. Because he's fully God, he knows the human situation from the outside in. But because he's fully man, he knows the human situation from the inside out. The word became flesh, fully God and fully man. The great reformer Martin Luther said, said it so well. He says this, quote, The mystery of the, of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding isn't it isn't it almost impossible to understand how that the eternal god would be willing to come to leave his place in heaven his place of glory his his eternal existence and become a human i don't think we'll ever really be able to figure that out i don't think we'll ever fully understand that it's a mystery and and there there there's there's no question about what happened as a result. Look what it says again in verse fourteen: because he became flesh and dwelt among us, we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because Jesus became flesh, John says we saw his glory. Now think about that. If God had never become flesh, we'd never seen the glory like they did. They saw in Jesus an incredible glory. There on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw the glory of Christ. But they saw the glory of Christ in even a greater way. They saw it in his grace and his truth. If you look at the whole life of Jesus, man, it's a life of grace and truth. And because Jesus became flesh, we can see that. Now, Don't miss the importance of this. Because he 
did that. Now you and I can have eternal life. You and I can have eternal life because of what Jesus did. He came. He became flesh so that you and I can have eternal life. James Montgomery Boyce lists some of the amazing things that Jesus' virgin birth, his sinless life, and his death on the cross accomplished. Here's what he says. Quote, Jesus endured a physical birth to give us a new spiritual birth. He occupied a stable that we might occupy a mansion. He had an earthly mother so that we might have a heavenly father. He became subject so that we might be free. He, he, he left his glory to give us glory. He was poor that we might be rich. He was welcomed by shepherds at his birth so that one day through our new birth, we can be welcomed by angels. He was hunted by Herod so that we might be delivered from the grasp of Satan. End quote. That's the mystery of the Christmas story. Jesus, the eternal word, became flesh. But listen, it's, it, it's, it's not only an eternal story and a mysterious story, it's a tragic story. Sometimes we miss that. Sometimes, you know, when we look over there at, the, at the, that little scene, the man, it's, a, you know, it's an incredibly warm and, and beautiful picture. It, it, we think about, you know, Joseph and Mary and the baby and the shepherds and the, the wise men, all those things together. You know, it's kind of a beautiful picture, isn't it? But in reality... It's a tragic story. You say, well, how could it be a tragic story? Because when he came, we rejected him. We rejected the eternal word of God become flesh. Look what he says in verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. Now, we've already learned that he made everything in it, in the world and the people that are in it. But when, when he came to the people that he had made, they didn't even know him. They didn't recognize him or acknowledge him as their Messiah. They refused to accept him. In fact, they became very hostile toward him. He, he was tragically rejected, even though he should have been received by the people who knew him best. It's been, it's been said that the Pulitzer Prize winning Ernest Hemingway once bet his friends that he could write an entire story in six words, a a complete story in just six words. And he won the bet with this heartbreaking phrase. Here's the whole six words. For sale, baby shoes, never used. For sale, baby shoes, Never used. That's a tragic story. I'll tell you a more tragic story. In just 15 words in the New American Standard, in just 11 words in the King James Version, and just 10 words in the original Greek, John writes a far more tragic story. John chapter 1 and verse 11, he came to his own. And his own received him not. That's a tragic story. Jesus who loved us so much that he 
was willing to leave his position in heaven and come into this world and be rejected is an incredible thought. These people despised him and crucified him and rejected him. Now think about this. What a tragedy to come face to face with your creator who has come into the world, who has made a huge sacrifice just to come into the world so that you can have eternal life, to come face to face with him and to reject him. That's tragic. But you know what? It's just as tragic when people hear the truth, the story of Jesus coming into the world, of the, the, the incredible truth at Christmas, and we are face to face with that reality and we reject it. It's just as tragic, isn't it? You see, there are people in this room right now that in heaven's eyes, your, eye, your life is a tragedy. See, no matter how good things are going for you right now, when you, when you hear this story, this reality, and you say, well, that's not really for me. Maybe later, no, I don't want any part of that. I don't want all that religion stuff. You see, it's a tragedy when you are offered the love and grace of God, and yet you walk away from that unchanged. For so many people, the Christmas story is a tragic story because we will not accept it into our lives. But the Bible goes on to show us that for those who do receive it, the story of Jesus is a wonderful story. It says in verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, See, some people received Jesus. They believed in his name, and those who trusted in him, he gave them the right, he gave them the authority, he gave them the ability to become children of God. And to become children of God is to ask God to save you, and it's to be born of God. Every person here has been born in humanity. I mean, that's not a question, but the question is, have you been born of God? The Bible says that when you're born of God, you become God's child. You take on God's nature. You receive his spirit. You are transformed. You're changed. And you have a new future. And you have a new way of living. And and notice what verse 13 tells us about how a person becomes a child of God. First of all, he says, it's not of blood. So you're not born a Christian because you were born in a Christian family. Or because your parents are Christians. It's, it's not of blood. It can't be transferred to you genetically, biologically, or by osmosis. Just simply living in a, in a household. You don't become a Christian by, by blood. And, and second, it's not of the will of the flesh. In other words, you can't, you can't become a child of God by your own ability. But your own power, even your own desire. You know, I've met a few people in my life um, who said that they didn't want to go to heaven. 
But very rarely does that, does that happen. Most people say they want to go to heaven. Most people that I talk to just say, you know, I really would, I hope I go to heaven. And most people think they are going to heaven. And do you know what? Most people think that they are children of God. They think I'm a child of God. But listen to me very carefully. Every person in the world was created by God. But not every person in the world is a child of God. Only those people who have received the nature of God through faith in Christ are really children of God. Otherwise, we are children of the devil. I mean, we're children of the darkness, not children of the light. And we, and we demonstrate that most of the time in our love for darkness rather than light. Most people think they're going to heaven. Most people think they are going, that they're children of God. But in reality, you see, that's why the light, we need the light. Because Jesus comes and he turns on the light and he says, you need life. As many as received him, verse 12 says, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And notice it's not a result of the will of man. In other words, nobody else can make you a Christian. You know what? If I could make people Christians, boy, there would be a whole lot of them. If I could make you a Christian, I would. And if the people who love you most could make you a Christian, they would. But I can't and they can't. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Friends, salvation is of God. Only God can bring about this salvation. Back in 2001, H&R Block ran this promotion to try to get people to come into the store and have their taxes prepared. And they were giving away a million dollars to anyone who, who came in to the, the, their store to have their taxes and had their taxes prepared, they were entered in this, this drawing automatically for a million dollar, million dollar jackpot. So, uh, one couple by the, uh, by, by the name of Glenn and Gloria Sims, who lived in Newell, New Jersey, they came into H&R Block to have their taxes prepared. They weren't even thinking about the, you know, the, the, the promotion that was going on, the, the contest. But because they were entered into the drawing automatically, they weren't even aware that they were in the part of the context. But after the tax season was over and H&R Block drew the name of the, of the client that, that won the million-dollar jackpot, it was the Sims. Uh, and, and Glenn and, and Glory had won. And so H&R Block sent them a certified letter, but when they received it, they thought it was junk mail, and so they threw it away. Well, a little later, they sent some other letters, and they just ignored them. H&R Block began to call them. Uh, They wouldn't answer the phone at first, but then they left some messages, and they just ignored the messages. They thought they were telemarketers. And and finally, uh, several weeks after the... um, uh, the the contest had been drawn, then uh, H&R Block decided to call one more time. 
to let Mr. Sims know that the deadline for accepting the million-dollar prize was nearing and that the story of their refusal to accept the prize was going to appear on the uh, Today Show on NBC. And so with that, Mr. Sims decided that he would investigate a little further. And upon his investigation, he discovered that he and his wife had indeed won the million-dollar prize. And he appeared a few days later on the Today Show. And he said that in in the process of all this working out, he said that one of the men who contact information art block says, please, we really want a happy ending to this story. We really want you to accept this prize. And he says, we're so glad that we have accepted, finally accepted the prize. Do you realize that God wants a happy ending to your story? That God wants you to accept the gift that he has made possible for you to have eternal life. To become a child of God. Think about it. If I'm saying, I've got a million dollars for you. Here it is. Accept it. We have no problem doing that why do we have such a problem when God says to us I have a gift for you it's eternal life you become my child and we will live together in wonder forever I'll tell you why it's because we live in darkness and we're deceived And for somehow, some crazy way, we believe that it would be better for us to continue on in our own power, in our own way, in this dark world. Making our own joy and our own goodness. Rather than to receive the eternal gift of God. But at Christmas, God turns on the light and says, look... Here's the light, and here's the life. The question is, will you receive the life? Every one of us are going to spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. When your story's written, at the end, what what will they fill in the blank? This person spent their life on earth, and now they have entered into eternity, and they will spend Eternity in, you fill in the blank. What will it be? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the Christmas story, the story of Jesus. Thank you that it's an eternal story. Thank you, God, that it's so great, so incredible that it's a mysterious story. But, oh, Lord, we do know how. It is a tragic story. So so many people hear this story and reject. God, may today it be a happy ending. May May it be a wonderful story for some. Lord, may we choose to receive you, to believe in your name, and to receive eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. God, help us this day to do that. In just a moment, we're going to sing a final song. And as we do, I'm I'm simply going to ask you if you would like to receive 
eternal life. If you would, you would believe in Jesus and say, I, I want this eternal life today. I'm trusting in him. If you would do that, I'm just going to ask you to leave your seat and just to come down here to where I am and just, just tell me that. And we'll talk about that. We'll get that settled. But I, I want to ask you to take that in action today as we sing. I want, I want you to receive that gift by your action today. Father, help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing this final song as we do. Now is your opportunity. will not overcome it. So if you have if you have any thoughts or any questions, love to talk to you about this. No greater gift in all the world than the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Uh, just a reminder, uh, 6 o'clock tonight, the uh, choir presentation, the name of Jesus, a wonderful presentation. I encourage you to be here. May God bless you and Merry Christmas.